because I feel like you're not Seinfeld. You can't just talk about nothing and expect (laughs) us to listen to you, right? You're listening to episode 86 of the Biz Women Rock podcast. Let's do it. Ladies, welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I have the pleasure of bringing you great stories from business women all over the world so that you can learn from their journeys and use it in yours. Let's kick things off with our Biz Women Wednesday series, which is a weekly series where we highlight an incredible woman who's a part of the entire BWR community. Today's highlight is Sharon Feckety. And Sharon is the owner of a company called The Doctor Whisperer. Her expertise has been in marketing and company building from the inside out for the past 15 years. And her specialty, obviously with a name like The Doctor Whisperer, is going into the offices of physicians and really helping them strategize their growth through marketing, through sales, and through getting the word out about what they're doing. Sharon, big congrats on all the great things that you're doing. If you would like to find out more about Sharon, and if you would like to see how you could be highlighted for the Biz Women Wednesday series, all you have to do is go to bizwomenrock.com. All right, now let's get things rolling. Today's guest is Valerie Groth. Valerie is the founder of a podcast called Inspiration with Val. And it's a podcast that's totally dedicated to being able to bring really great inspirational stories to light so that you can listen to them and really get inspired about your own life and where you're going. Now, Valerie is a life coach, and she has a really interesting history as to how she got there. And during this interview, she's really sharing with us not only about her journey of becoming a life coach and what that has taken to be able to build out her life coaching business, But what has happened since she's actually started her podcast back in December of 2013? By the time this podcast airs, she will no doubt have reached 100,000 listeners in one month. That's just one month. (laughs) So she has definitely built up a huge listenership. She's doing really great things. And I'm so proud to have her on the show. So let's get into it. Hey, Valerie, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Hi, Katie. It's great to be here. My fellow podcaster, I'm so happy that you are here. (laughs) You and I I know each other through Facebook, actually. We are both members of the Podcasters Paradise, the Members Association for Podcasters that John Lee Dumas and Kate Erickson have created. And I have watched you as a peer. I think you launched your podcast back in December. I launched mine a few months later in February. And so I've been able to watch you and what you've been doing. And I've been so impressed by what you do. And so I really wanted to be able to bring your story to everyone listening today, not only about your podcast, but what you have built in your company. So Let's get rolling with that. Can you give us a little bit of a, of a backstory as to kind of what you were doing before you started being a life coach, which is really what you're doing now? Sure. Well, thank you for saying such kind words about the podcast. I love yours as well, of course. So before I started working as a life coach, um, my background is I have a bachelor's in psychology, and then I got my first master's to be a social worker. So for many years, I worked as an inner city school social worker in Chicago on the South Side. And that job was really great for a lot of reasons. I worked with some amazing kids, some amazing families and staff. It was very rewarding in a lot of ways. I got to do some really cool things. Like I took kids to visit colleges for the first time and did a lot of things that they normally wouldn't do. 
trying to introduce some new programs to raise awareness and get them to come downtown to Chicago and walk around, do things they would normally not do in their neighborhood. But it was really tough in a lot of ways. It was really emotionally draining, as you can imagine. It's working with kids in trauma, kids who grew up hungry and witnessing violence. It's a lot of crisis work. So working with kids who are suicidal and self-injuring and cutting and homicidal often at times too. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Um, How many years did you do that? Um, that was six, six, seven years. Wow. Yeah, which is actually a long time for someone in that position. The burnout rate is really high for social work, and it's really, really high <laughs> for that particular job. A lot of people don't make it past the first couple of years. But I loved it, and I felt like it was my dream job for a long time, and it really was. But I think the emotional intensity definitely kind of wears on you at some point in time. And a lot of things kind of chipped away at me. Like we, we dealt with losing students and grief and loss. And that was my job to do the grief counseling. And that was tough. But I lost one particular student that I was really close to. And that was really difficult for me. And just trying to kind of be there for the whole school. And I myself was grieving and, you know, different things, um, different specific situations where I was really, really invested in kids and their their hope for a good future and then we kind of see a little bit of progress moving forward and then the next day it's 5,000 steps back. Wow. So what was really hard for me was I didn't feel like I was really doing enough and I know that's a complete crazy perspective to have. I know looking into it I was doing a good job and I know that I was giving it my best effort but just based on what they were going through in their home lives and in the environment and in the neighborhood there's only so much that you can do. So to me, I wanted to be a social worker because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to change the world and to help people. And I, I, I just wasn't feeling that enough. And so I, I kind of started doing some coaching on the side while I was working. And I realized that I loved it because a big part of it was that I got to have that satisfaction of seeing my clients moving forward and they were seeing progress and making results and getting to where they wanted to be a lot faster than my kids were. So that kind of was a great supplement for a while because I got to work with the kids and then I got to work with my adult clients and move them forward towards their goals. So that was kind of how it all got started. How in the world did you get some of those initial clients? Like, did people just kind of know through the grapevine, like you're a very good listener and you're really good at being able to counsel people? Or did you sort of go out and start marketing yourself as this person who would take clients? I did get some referrals from friends at the very beginning. I also got some referrals from those clients later on, which was great. And I continue to get a lot of referrals through current clients. But I also gave away some services for free. I posted on Craigslist and I got some clients who were um, just interested in kind of a pro bono service. So I gave them free services and they gave me a testimonial that I could use on my website or for promotional materials. That was great until I got paying clients. But I do remember feeling like it was really tough when I started because I kind of thought like, here's the website, people are going to come to me. And as you know, it doesn't happen that way. So there was a like lot crickets, of trial and error. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I actually had a, a vegan food blog a few oh, cool. years ago, which was really fun. And it was very successful and I had a lot of followers. So I think that I thought, hey, I put up a blog and people are just going to find me. And it was just, yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> so it definitely took a long time of tr trying different things and seeing what works. Like, were you doing your food blog while you were doing the counseling? Yeah, yeah. The food blog I had for four or five years. Wow. And what kind of success did you have with that? So you were just like, like many food blogs. I mean, like giving recipes and taking pictures of food and like talking about your vegan experience, all that stuff. 
Yeah, it was really fun. I just kind of did it for a pastime. It was a hobby of mine. I loved cooking and I loved the community. And it's kind of like being a podcaster because as you know, the podcasting community is so supportive and amazing. And the food blogging community was really fun too. So I made some friendships and we met in real life and that was kind of cool. Um, I got some really great free stuff out of it. Everyone's <laughs> free stuff, right? Um, I got the best things I got out of it were I got a dehydrator. If anyone doesn't know what that is. Nice. So, you know, it's like a $400 massive equipment that you can dehydrate anything from like zucchini strips to salami or whatever you want to make. And I got to go to a restaurant in Chicago called True. It's called, or it's spelled T-R-U. And it's a very, very highly acclaimed restaurant that would cost you about $300 to $400 a person to go there. Oh, wow. And I got to go there for free because of the food blog. So I got some fun perks out of it. How neat. And you did that for how many years? Probably four years, I would say. So what did you learn? Because you said that you got a lot of traffic on the food blog. What were some of the things that actually lended themselves to make sure people were coming to check in with you? That's a great question. Well, I think you're kind of asking, like, what are the parallels between the food blog and my my current blog and business? Um, and I feel like I definitely at first didn't know how to find my own voice when I had the food blog. And I was trying to kind of imitate the style of other food bloggers who I saw who were really successful. And I think that I didn't really find my own success until I could kind of find my own voice and find how to put my own unique spin on things. And I feel like that's really true in the world that we are in here too. You know, being a podcaster and having an online business, I feel like it's so easy to want to model your success after a John Lee Dumas or a Pat Flynn. And I feel like that works for them because that's who they are, but we have to find our own unique voice. So yeah, I, awesome. I couldn't agree with you more on that, actually. I think that's a really, really great point. And I think it's hard because in anything that you do where you are like directly interacting with people, there is like you have to own yourself. And no matter how secure you are with yourself, kind of in person with people, there's a whole different shift that has to happen if you're doing a podcast or if you're doing a blog, because all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, this is public and available for the globe to hear or read. And who am I going to be here? And so I won't say I had trouble with that, but it definitely took a little while for me to truly sort of get in the groove of who I was and who I was going to be on the podcast. At what point did you decide to make the transition out of the school? I think it was just the point where I knew there was more that I could do with my students. I guess what I mean by that is I think there are so many limitations on jobs in schools. And when you're a teacher, there's Common Core and all these federal regulations that are supposed to help, but definitely make things harder to actually learn and um, to get a quality education. And the same thing goes for social workers. There were so many things that made it hard to do my job and actually make a difference. And I just felt very limited by that. I feel like I was an awesome social worker. I feel like I'm very good at my job. I think I'm really good at whatever I put my mind to. And when I am passionate about something, I want to do it to the best of my ability. And I felt like I was being very stifled by some regulations and some rules that got in the way. So there are a lot of things that I want to do to help kids in other ways. And I just felt like that was holding me back. Like one thing, actually, <laughs> that's kind of a, a new thing that I'm just talking about out loud is I have always wanted to start an inner city boarding school here in Chicago, which sounds really crazy and like this big, huge goal to even think about, but that's on my agenda. And I always kind of thought I would do it one day or I would think about it one day. And I realized that one day it might not happen and I need to take action today. So I think I kind of realized that I can make a difference and I can help the world in other ways besides being in that position. 
Wow. Tell me a little bit about how you grew your life coaching business. You had been doing that on the side and then stepped out of your day job. How did that, how did that whole like coaching program continue to blossom? Again, I think it's just a lot of finding what works. I like a lot of my clients, like I mentioned, come through referrals from current clients, but I've actually gotten a ton of clients through Twitter. So I think a lot of it was just kind of trying different things and finding out what works. And when you start, I didn't have a big blog following, so I didn't get a lot of people coming to me that wanted to be coached through the blog. So I was trying networking events and different things like that. And I didn't have a lot of luck with networking events. I feel like the ones that I went to for the most part were just kind of like singles mixers, people (laughs) trying to, you know, find a date. And that's not why I was going. So I tried a lot of things that didn't work before realizing what does. So Twitter's been really good for me. I've definitely gotten some clients and a lot of other great things through the podcast. Let's talk about just a little piece of that first. You mentioned Twitter, and I find that really interesting that you're able to basically get clients off of these little tweets. So tell me a little bit about kind of what has been your strategy on Twitter and how are you building that relationship on Twitter that it ends up as somebody's a client of yours? Sure. Again, I I had no idea what I was doing at first. When I first started, I thought it was a lot of responding to tweets. And maybe it is for some people, but for me, that doesn't really work very well. So for me, a lot of my engagement actually comes from direct message contact with someone else. So when someone is following me, then I go in and try and learn more about them and what their big goals are in life and where they want to be. And we kind of go from there. So Aside from clients, I've had a ton of luck getting podcast guests on my show through Twitter. I've gotten some speaking engagements through Twitter. I've made a lot of really good friends through Twitter. So I think for the outside person looking in, it seems kind of like a shallow platform in some ways, but I think you can definitely have some really good deep engagement. Now let's move into why you started podcasting. How did you hear about podcasting and what what was your transition into becoming a podcaster? I had always wanted to have a podcast. I love podcasts. They changed my life in many ways. A big part of that, I think, too, is I didn't know a lot of people who had done this, who had been an entrepreneur. And I think being exposed to all the people out there who have done that successfully was really huge for me. So I love that you could give someone the chance to kind of expand their comfort zone and to get inspired in different ways. So I started a podcast based on what I wanted to listen to. And I basically just wanted to meet cool people and hear their stories and be inspired by their experiences. And that's kind of what I did. So the premise of my podcast, the Inspiration with Val podcast, is I just try to find people from all walks of life and pull inspiration from their stories. So I have everyone from multimillionaire Grant Cardone to Dr. Alana Miller, who is a 31-year-old integrative psychiatrist with cancer. I have people from all over the place, authors, actors, athletes, and just try and hear their story. And hopefully something sparks something in my listener that makes them want to do something different, whether it's get healthier or just have a better mindset or make some kind of a change. So that's kind of how it started. That's so cool. What do you consider inspirational or what do you know that your listeners consider inspirational? Because I mean, everyone's got a great story. So when you're looking for guests, what kind of stuff are you looking for? You know, I don't even know how to define that. And it's interesting because when I first started podcasting, people told me to niche down. I'm sure you've heard that too. You know, Mm -hmm. find your niche. Like if you want to do a podcast in the athletic realm, do it for, you know, handball players, 
under the age of 20, right? <laughs> like, don't say like, hey, I'm going to have a sports podcast. It didn't really sit well with me because, again, I wanted to do podcasts that I wanted to listen to. And I knew that people would listen. And if they did, great. If they didn't like it, that's fine, too. So I feel like I don't really have a lot of specific constraints, just something that speaks to me in different ways. Like this past week, I had Nick Tuchek on the show, who is 11 years old, and he runs marathons all over the world to raise money for a charity. And to me, that just really spoke to me and inspired me. So essentially, when I hear someone's story and I take inspiration for whatever reason, then I say, okay, (laughs) you'd be a great guest. Now, obviously, people are responding because and really liking the fact that you didn't like super, super niche down and they really get to come there with inspiration because you have more and more people coming and listening every single day. So can you talk a little bit about what your numbers have done? Like, did you have a community that you were launching to? Did you have people listening right away? And how have your numbers grown? Yeah, my numbers were terrible at first, like they are for all of us, I think. And they've definitely grown really well. I've been really happy to see the progress. It's been really exciting. I have no idea how many overall downloads I've had, but I think I'm gunning for 100,000 this month. I've kind of come close before. I never actually hit 100,000. So I think I can hit 100,000 in July. That's great. So that's that's 100,000 for the month of July, basically, right? Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Okay. And so for anyone who is listening who does not podcast, those are amazing numbers. (laughs) That is very, very good after what, nine months, right? Yeah. Thank you. So I want to get into the nitty gritty of how you're getting the word out about your podcast. What have been some of the most productive marketing strategies that you've done to make sure that people are coming and listening and staying? Uh, Again, Twitter, I hate to be redundant, but Twitter has been huge for me. I definitely like to promote on Facebook and my email list, of course, but Twitter is my favorite platform. I love Twitter. (laughs) And when you're on Twitter, are there certain strategies that you're using? I mean, obviously, to be able to get guests and stuff like that, I understand that you're using kind of the direct message model, but to sort of get to like a general crowd, are there certain types of posts that you're using or certain ways or times that you're posting them? I post often and yeah, I post as often as I can pretty much. So that's not really the direct messaging that I I would never tweet someone and direct message like, hey, listen to my show. (laughs) But that's more so just me putting out that content. And I use Hootsuite to schedule my posts. So they are going out very frequently throughout the day. Now, what kind of an effect has podcasting had on your life coaching business? I have gotten some really great clients through the podcast. And what's really cool about that is I believe all of my clients that I've gotten through the podcast, I think they're all international clients. I don't think I have any U.S. clients through the podcast, which is kind of fun because I don't meet people from the U.K. in person very often in Chicago, but I have a client from the U.K. that I've gotten through the podcast, and I have a client from Canada through the podcast. So that's been really cool, just getting that connection that I would never, ever get a chance to meet that person if it wasn't for the podcast. As a podcast listener yourself, what are some of your favorite podcasts that you like to listen to? Oh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> you can't ask me that question. I have so many favorites. All right, all right. First, all the first three that come there. to your mind. Oh my gosh, that's so hard. I, I honestly couldn't even tell you. I really couldn't tell you. But I will say, and everyone probably knows these too, but I will give credit to Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income and of course, John Lee Dumas with Entrepreneur on Fire because those two definitely were the reason that I started the podcast in the first place. That's awesome. And yeah, Valerie and I were actually just talking about an episode that Pat Flynn had about, he's great, (laughs) smart passive income. Both he and John are amazing. Pat had this great 
podcast about email and what a big deal and like monster this unread email inbox is coming mm-hmm. is you know happening for him and ever oh my gosh I can definitely attest to that and he's just got a really really great episode about that so you guys should go to smartpassiveincome.com and go check it out about his email inbox he took from mm-hmm. nine thousand down to zero <laughs> that's amazing that's a lot <laughs> so one of the things that really intrigues me is how you host and how you have become and evolved as a host. I mean, obviously you sort of mentioned earlier on that it took a lot to really find your voice, but can you talk a little bit about how you have really evolved as a host of your show? Sure. You have so many great questions. (laughs) Um, I'm fascinated. That's why. I think I definitely have gotten more comfortable just kind of going off script. I think when we all start, we have our written questions and we kind of like go down the line. But I have a lot more fun. And I think my audience does too when we kind of get to go off script a little bit. At the same time, I really enjoy podcasts that have a point and there's some kind of a lesson to take from it. So I think the new trend in podcasting is kind of to say like, hey, this is just an organic conversation. You know, I don't do interviews. You know, you've heard that before. Right, right. And there are a lot of people who do that. And I don't want to listen to their shows because I feel like you're not Seinfeld. You can't just talk about nothing and expect <laughs> us to listen to you, right? So I feel like it's finding a balance of getting some kind of entertainment or educational value out of the podcast, but also making it seem natural and kind of free flowing at the same time has been big for me. It just took practice. Yeah. The fact that you're managing and building an entire podcast business. And one of the things that I truly believe in is that podcasting itself is an entirely different business than anything else that you do. (laughs) You might use it for marketing and you might use it for all these other reasons, but the reality is, is it's entirely own monster as far as things to manage, tools to have, what you're doing for it. So how are you managing building up a very wonderful podcast business on top of your coaching business? Actually, so I've been doing three episodes a week. I started with one and then I went to two and then three and I've been doing three for a very long time. And I think I'm actually going to make the tough decision to cut back a little bit. And I I love, love, love podcasting. It's nothing to do with not loving the platform at all. I love having a podcast. I love interviewing the guests on my show. But as you know, it's very time consuming. So I actually am going to kind of step a little bit lower on the scale just to have more time to do things like my one-on-one coaching. And I have some mastermind groups coming up this summer. And I do want to do that thing with the school. Um, I want to put together a Kickstarter campaign and see where it goes. And I feel like, I don't know, it's hard to focus on all all sorts of things at once. So I kind of have to pick a couple for now. So I think it's just being okay with the fact that you don't have to have seven shows a week or you don't even have to have three a week. For me, I think having one will be okay for a while and I'm still going to have that contact with my audience members and I'm still going to get to have great guests on the show, but I'm not going to have to spend as much time scheduling and editing and and getting ready. So, Are you still doing all of your own editing? Like, Do you do that whole process? I do and I've actually, um, I pretty much don't actually edit the episode itself. I don't actually edit the bulk of the episode. I do, you know, mix in the intro and the outro, but I don't actually edit. So... I've learned to cut back on time that way. I learned in the very beginning, I was editing, editing like a crazy woman. Like I was sort of like taking out every single little um and ah. Yeah, and like, too. oh my gosh, there's a noise in back. I don't know about that. Like oh, it, that was it, awful. I hate admitting this, but it, like it literally would take for a 40, 45 minute show. It would take me f- 
five hours at least oh, to edit yeah. something. And Oof. I, I, I tell people, I'm like, I did not sleep for the first three months of this podcast. I literally did not sleep. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I was like, you know what, Katie, you need to like just relax a little bit, and it's okay if there are some ums in there. And and I actually have somebody do like what I call first phase edits. Like they take out the really like obnoxious kind of stuff or if there's little hiccups here and there. But then for the most part, I just kind of leave it all there. And and because I think that people really appreciate a really open conversation. So one tip that I have, and I actually am not smart enough to have this on my own. I stole this from John Cody, who has a medical tourism podcast. So what he told me to do is, well, one thing that I do is when I am listening to a podcast, I write down kind of the highlights so I'm writing the show notes while I'm talking kind of like the the main points and keywords but he actually recommended to write down if you have an error so if you do have like a big part that you have to cut out like a big pause or when Skype goes out just to write like minute 1130 this happened and then you can go back and easily edit so that saved me a ton of time I think that's so true. And I'm doing all of that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, well, not even, not even just the edit parts, but like all my little, like I, I have quotes in my show notes. And so I, I'm always like, ooh, that was a really great quote. I like that. So I, yeah. it's really easy for me to go back to it. You bring on people with great inspirational stories. And so my question to you is, you know, you're so passionate about bringing inspiration to other people. What do you do to stay inspired? Oh, <laughs> what a good question. I don't even know how to answer because I feel, I I don't know, I feel like I'm constantly feeling inspired. I don't know what I do to get that place. I don't know. I feel like I'm just always intrigued and always excited about different ideas or different, you know, movements going on that I see. I feel like I'm not sure what I actually do to get inspiration. I feel like I'm just constantly feeling inspired. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're inspired Val. (laughs) (laughs) And then what do you think is like your big vision for your podcast? I mean, you came into this because you were looking for something that you truly wanted. So as you're going through this evolution of having and really leading your own podcast, what do you want out of it? Like what's a big thing for you? I think the the real goal of the podcast is just I would love people for people to feel inspired and to make changes in their, in their life in some way. And I didn't really do it to monetize. I did it because it was fun for me and I wanted to have a podcast that I wanted to hear and people are responding really well, which is really, really fun to hear. I love getting that kind of feedback. And right now, I know that I'm touching tens of thousands of people, but I would love to touch hundreds of thousands and then millions and just to feel like you have that kind of an impact. So not in like a selfish, I want to make a lot of money way, because I don't see the podcast as my big income stream, but just I love being a coach because I get to see people who have big dreams and they felt stifled in some way or they've had some kind of internal or external limitation that held them back from going after their big goals and that makes me really sad I want to see everyone living their dreams and I feel like hopefully I can bring some kind of inspiration to everyone listening and they can in some way be inspired to take action go after whatever makes them happy Mm. well Valerie you're doing a really really great job of it before we go tell us a little bit more about the Kickstarter program that you're doing and the whole project that is so near and dear to your heart. Yeah, it is literally just at the very beginning stages right now. I don't have a website. I, again, have been wanting to do this for years and years, and I just kind of put it out there into the universe and started talking about it. However, if anyone is interested, I would love to tell you more once things are up and running. So you're welcome to email me at Valerie at inspirationwithval.com or find me on Twitter. So yeah, I've never done a Kickstarter campaign. I think it's going to be a huge endeavor and a lot of work. And I've got a 
find a good team to have around me and get a videographer to put the page together and all that good stuff. So when I worked with kids who would go home to their family and their neighborhoods that were often not safe and not loving environments, that was when a lot of the damage got undone that we would do with them at school. And there were a couple times when I had kids go into programs here in Chicago, like there's a program called Mercy Home, and the kids live there. They don't live with their families anymore. They live there for a year, two years, and they go. They put them in a separate school. And programs like that are really effective. And programs like the Seed School in New York City that is an inner city boarding school are very effective. And we don't have a model here that combines that home life and that school portion too. But based on the models that are happening in other parts of the country, that's a model that I think would be a really good fit for the kids here. Because again, you can you know, move forward and make so much progress at school, but then you send them back home and all that social emotional progress and all of their academic learning is kind of out the window when they're exposed to violence or they're freezing cold at night or they're hungry or everyone around them is telling them to join a gang and to not to go to college. So I think changing that environment and exposing kids to people who are supportive and going to offer them a bright future is really important. Oh, that's awesome. Well, listen, best of luck with that project. I think it's awesome. As soon as you have details, send them on over to me. I'll go ahead and put them on the show notes for this page. And I just really want to thank you so much for sharing with us your story and all of the great stuff that you're doing with your podcast. Thank you for just sharing all of the detail on how you've gotten to where you are right now. So big congratulations to you. Thank you so much. All the show notes are available for you at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 86. And they will, of course, include some really great quotes from Val. Now, Valerie did mention to me after the show that if you have any interest in working with her, and I think that she's amazing, um, that she is actually going to give you a special Biz Women Rock discount. So all you have to do is go to the show notes page and you can go ahead and get a quick link to there so that you can hook up with her, okay? The biggest thing that I got from my conversation with Val was just that she's so passionate and so motivated to make sure that other people feel inspired. I was just really touched by that. It emanates in everything that she does, whether she's doing her coaching or whether she's doing her podcast. Like it just, she leads with this desire to inspire. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Anyway. I just really love that. I appreciated that about her and I hope you did too. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'll see you on the next episode.